Welcome to Learning with Lisa, Student Success Beyond Expectations podcast with Lisa Navarra, award-winning educator, consultant, behavior specialist, author, and parent. This podcast provides support for school leaders, educators, and parents. We share and discuss evidence-based resources that are embedded in social and emotional learning to meet the needs of students who struggle focusing and learning. Teachers and parents find information and strategies to improve students' academic, behavioral, and social-emotional performance. It's time to turn kids from I can't into I can. Welcome to Student Success Beyond Expectations. Are you keeping up with us? Have you seen Dr. Karen before? You're not quite sure where, maybe it was on her own podcast, maybe it was through her website, or just maybe you've seen us talk before, because we talked to you about building resiliency and teaching executive functioning skills. But I had to have Dr. Karen back on, because there's so much infusion of executive functioning skills that really applies to not just the classroom, not just in speech therapy, but everywhere at every minute of children's lives. As a matter of fact, I had just revisited a journal article that I had read. And, um, it, you know, sometimes going back and reading what you've already read, it's so it's so great because you pick up new information that maybe you missed or you forgot about. And it said this, it said that everyone is born with executive functioning blueprints. So your genetics, right? But those skills are not pre-made, meaning that they really need to be built. They need to be explicitly taught. So we, again, need to stop expecting children to have the skills innately to be able to perform and reach their goals. So today's episode is going to talk to you about social skills. Are you an educator of some kind in the school? Are you a parent? Are you a school leader? Are you even a bus driver who maybe knows about executive functioning and who's been in counseling or not? But here's the deal. You're wondering, this child goes to social skills training and how come I'm not seeing any progress? They could tell me exactly what to do, what not to do, even what they're going to do in the future. But that same mistake happens or that skill that they seem to be working on, that objective truly isn't met, therefore that goal is not being met. So Dr. Karen is going to talk to us about how to maximize the social skill setting, what she thinks really needs to be done to have skills generalized to other areas. And so if this is something that's near and dear to you, you're going to wanna listen, take this information and really talk to the decision makers Consider the way that you are conducting your sessions and even just really as important, consider how you are collaborating with the other team members of your students and children within your sessions. So welcome, Dr. Karen. Thank you so much for having me back again. Oh, it's fabulous. It's great to have you again. Dr. Karen, I'm going to give you the floor. Talk to us about your perspective on social skills and what we need to do to improve the outcomes of children who are attending such sessions. So I think you summed it up. You gave a really good overview of what needs to happen, but I can share a little bit about what I am seeing as 
as far as what's being done in the schools and where some of the people who are providing the support are struggling, as well as some of the things that I struggled with when I was in the schools as a speech pathologist. So in the in the speech and language field, usually social skills is lumped under this area called pragmatic language. And again, it's just using language and understanding some of that nonverbal communication for social situations, and also understanding things like tone of voice. Um, and again, the, the other nonverbal things like body language or just the unwritten social rules. And when I first started out in the schools, there were many kids who did, again, they would have a hard time at recess during transitions during the school day when things were a little bit unstructured. So again, there were, the teachers would notice that they were either not doing what they thought they were supposed to be doing, or they were off track, or they would just, some of those behaviors, you know, that would be a little bit more challenging would come up during those transitions where kids would not want to make the transition from one thing to another. Or even just at recess, kids would be very agitated and dysregulated when they would come back from recess, or they would be getting in arguments with their peers or not really sure how to interact. And then for the older students, it could come out a little bit differently where it could come out where there might be issues with kids in the passing periods. They're not getting to class on time. They're, again, having a hard time forming those social relationships with peers. Maybe things are happening in the lunchroom. Maybe things are happening during their extracurricular activities. And then, of course, you know, we you mentioned bus drivers there. That's another time of day when some of these things can come out because it is less structured. And so what I was seeing and what I still hear from the therapists that I'm working with is that there's not good generalization and that students aren't motivated to work on social skills. And part of this is because of the service delivery model that is being used when we're working on social skills. So if you think about what is going on, so, you know, kind of going back to what executive functioning actually is. A lot of times in the schools, we think about it with, you know, are they getting their assignments turned in on time? Are they following the instructions and keeping up in class? Um, are they organized? Can they, um, if there's some kind of a project that requires multiple steps and it's really complex, can they plan and execute that? Which of course is executive functioning, but it's way more than that. It can also apply to, social situations as well. And um, when we think about the fact that it requires self-regulation, it requires you to read the room and look at all of the incoming information that you have, figure out what you should be doing, figure out how to adapt your own behavior and be flexible with how you think about things, have a plan B, also be able plan to- Plan B, we gotta execute plan A. I know, I know, but what if, you know, again, like you have to adapt to situations. Yes. And then the other thing too is just noticing the situation, but also noticing what other people are doing and how your behaviors are impacting other people, how to interpret the way that other people are acting towards you. That's tremendous. So there's all sorts of different things that you have to be doing that really will help you be successful in a social situation, just that whole flexibility and understanding how to read the situation. So really what it comes down to when it when we're thinking about not just academic situations, but 
social situations, it's situational awareness, again, reading the room or reading the situation, um, and then perspective taking, being mm-hmm. able to adapt and understand how your behavior impacts other people and how um, how to interpret other people's uh, responses and the way that they're responding to you, what they might be thinking, all of those types of things. So those things require you to problem solve and be very flexible. And they require you to think on the spot. But when you are in a very academic structured situation, which a lot of times a social skills group is typically an adult running the session, it's very organized, it's very predictable, it's very academic feeling where it's, you know, here's a here's a question and I'm I'm quizzing you on what you should be doing in this certain scenario, which is there a place for explaining different possibilities? Is there a place for talking through some of those things? Sure. But is that enough to actually carry over to another situation? No, because again, it's very structured and predictable. It's very academic. It's very, again, adult-led. The adult is providing so much structure there that they're kind of doing the executive functioning for kids and they're not really letting them fully experience the situation and apply those skills. So um, I can talk a little bit in a in a minute here about how that could look because it's not that I'm saying that there's never a place for working with kids in a small group to work on those types of skills, but we need to think beyond that because again, you are going to see that you know, they might be able to sit there in their social skills group and give you the right answer. But does that mean that they're going to know how to, how to use that behavior on the bus when there's a lot going on and you haven't practiced that specific scenario and they're not able to kind of look around and figure out what to do? Um, Not necessarily. They might not necessarily be able to do it there. So that's where you see that poor generalization happening. So I think this is a really good point in um, our talk together right now. If our listeners would even jot down or a question or a comment, maybe you are a counselor, a therapist, social worker, psychologist, some kind of so you know a uh, a service provider that is providing service um, for so for social skills. I would love to hear if you actually take your students outside of your office to practice some of those skills. Because Dr. Karen, you mentioned about walking in the hallway and, and passing appropriately, you know, be, between periods and whatnot. I would imagine it's easier to do on the elementary level, mm-hmm. but I am curious, and please leave your comments below if you actually take any of your students out of your office to role play. And if not, um, give us some brainstorm, you know, tell us what you like. Maybe this right here is it's a lot of substance right here. Are we getting you to think about things maybe a little bit differently? If so, how? Give us some feedback. So Dr. Karen, tell us more about how it could look. So first there, you could think about high level, how it could look as far as just the, like a bigger framework. And then you can think about, all right, what strategies am I actually teaching? That's typically how I think about things. So obviously we have, we want to think about this in phases, you know, like you have a phase where you're kind of front loading or priming or preparing for a situation where you might be teaching kids a strategy or helping them to, to get the information that they need for an upcoming situation. 
So if this is something more academic, it could be just talking through or teaching actual strategies. Like writing comes up a lot where you might see some of those behaviors, you know, where kids are refusing to do things. And a lot of times it's because there's a lot of anxiety around it because it's hard and there's a lot of planning and, you know, it, it's easy to get into a negative thought spiral there about writing because you feel overwhelmed. So there could be some place for teaching a specific strategy. That's an academic example. When it comes to social situations, there are different things that you can do to kind of prime and prepare and teach kids to understand what's going on in that situation. There's a lot of things like, again, we have social narratives, we have video modeling, we have, um, you know, comic strip conversations, you have role play, you even have if there's a situation where a student comes up where you could even just talk through the situation and see specific to that student, what is actually going on there that's causing them to have, you know, a meltdown or whatever it is. So there could be some element of let's prepare for this situation. Let's give you the information that you need. Let's come up with a strategy for you that you could apply to that situation. There, you could even talk through how they can talk to themselves and ask themselves questions of that in that situation. But obviously, um, when we think about how we learn, just talking about things is not enough. Even adult learners don't learn that way. Mm -hmm. So what you need to do is either, like you said, take that and then actually go do it in the actual context where it's going to be done. Or if you don't have the bandwidth or the schedule to be able to do that, then that's where we have to get creative about our service delivery models and figure out, do I need to be on my, uh, my therapy sessions, maybe do some some coaching, consulting, um, work with some of the other people that I that are on my team and figure out a way that they can be the ones that are doing that in their classroom, in the hallway or wherever. And that does require you to be creative. I've used a lot of different you know, methods. Now people are pretty savvy with tech and using the cloud to communicate and like sharing videos with each other and um, documents that you can use where it doesn't always require a face-to-face -face meeting or training peers to do it, but figuring out a way to get that support across the day and also figuring out what teachers can do just proactively to structure the classroom so it's a little bit more obvious so that they can be doing things like modeling that strategy self-talk modeling the way that they talk to themselves while they're using their strategies, but also being aware if students are in a situation and you know that they're not, you know, looking around and looking at the right information, giving them a strategy to stop and um, look at what they need to be doing, whether it be through some kind of a directed question, whether it could be through a declarative statement that just redirects their attention to what they're supposed to be working on or whether it be just you know telling them where to look um or the other thing that you can do is kind There's of lots of choices that's the big yeah. or i love that yeah. or because sometimes we feel like i i don't know how am i going to fit this in what am i going to do but yeah with options like you're saying so don't look don't stay with us now keep on going because we've got the third option here go ahead dr karen yeah yeah okay and so i kind of went into the um the, the specifics, but again, we want to think priming real life situation and then review afterwards. And so what I was getting into now was the, the real life situation. How does that look? Mm -hmm. um, but really even 
something that you can do is that the teacher can be kind of like, let's say that the the SLP, the social worker or whoever is a special ed teacher, it could be a lot of different people, right? So um, that person teaches this strategy, then gets the teacher on board. And then the teacher can maybe just give some kind of reminder, like, oh, you know, like, do you have your, your schedule with all of your things that you need to do or whatever it is to kind of take that front loading and pull it into the classroom and just, you know, again, give the student that reminder to use it. That can be something that you do as well in context. Um, and this is a great way where you can utilize teaching assistants as well, parent volunteers, peer tutors, whatever whatever it is, whatever you have at your disposal in in your classroom. Um, so again, this is where we need to think flexible flexibly about the, the service delivery models that we use. Um, it's not just like the student is going to therapy, they're going to be pulled out of the room. We also need to think about how do we how do we use other models in order to give, give students what they need? So again, and then that third phase really is that there does need to be some kind of review right right afterwards because if we think about executive functioning it's planning up front self-regulation and planning while you're doing the thing and then self-evaluating afterwards and applying that to the future and so the the phases of your intervention can look kind of the same and you know again that could look like even the teacher just kind of checking in with the student like all right you know how did that go and when you were working in this group with your peers and you know Again, that's you know a potential social situation that could happen in the class if you're working yep. on group work. So maybe just kind of right. checking in with them and helping them reflect on what happened. Um, again, modeling that the way that they can talk to themselves, um, and um, and then that could be something else that you could do in a like a pullout situation as well as that self reflection, and then you're kind of repeating the process. So that's how it can look. Um, really, there's a lot of there's a lot of different ways you can use it, but when you think about the things that need to happen, whether it's pushing in or pulling out, it really needs to be that front loading and priming, the practice and the support in context, and then that self-evaluation after, and then rinse and repeat. And yes. that's just kind of how it has to be embedded in there. Yeah. And then that's how we can start expecting appropriately some changes by setting... Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. Really fair expectations because we've gone through the whole process in the best way that we possibly can, which is, like you said, keeping things in context, which means a whole lot of role playing and or on the spot teaching, whether it be teachable moments or I love the example that you gave. If they're doing group work, that's social. Mm -hmm. Right. You need all those pragmatics. You need all those communication skills. Um, and then we can really say, okay, this is what I expect. Remember when this is what we, we were practicing and just bringing up those reminders as the, the students are about to engage in that type of activity. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, talk to us about like leadership. How can leadership get involved in this, um, this bit of a paradigm shift in how yeah. to approach the service model? So some of the things, you know, when I've talked to principals, special ed directors, or, or people who are making those decisions about human resources and who to hire and, and you know, just how to how to lead their, their building, they're thinking about, okay, do I have enough counselors to support the mental health needs, which of course right. is important. That's a piece that needs to be there. They're also thinking about 
you know, when you think about special ed directors, they're talking about IEP compliance and minutes and things like that. And then also behavior management is something that comes up as well. So I would say those are the three big things that have popped out for me when I have talked to, to the school administrators. Again, mental health needs, um, social the social skills, and then the behavior management. And then the other thing, too, that sort of is this overarching thing is just the school culture. What yeah. values do we have in the school culture? There's a junior high in the, the town where I live, and they're all about resiliency and problem solving and um, just, again, working through learning curves and being independent. So it just, it really does fall in line with executive functioning. I remember one of the math teachers that I was talking to was like, oh yeah, you know, I know that a lot of kids think that math problems are kind of boring, but learning how to push through something that it feels uncomfortable is good for you in the long run. It teaches you a skill. It makes you stronger. It teaches you how to delay gratification and it makes you more solid so you can apply things for the high level, high level skills. And again, this is just, you know, the math teacher thinking about how they're building culture is fitting in with what he's doing in his classroom. So I loved that. And, and again, then when they're, when they're talking about their how they handle cell phones in the classrooms and how they handle kids with their assignments and teaching kids responsibility you can just see that the whole these these values were embedded into the culture so mm -hmm. that was really key um i think that that makes it easier for the staff when everybody's on the same page especially when it comes to the rules and expectations in each classroom. I know that sometimes people like to have that freedom and autonomy, but what makes it kind of hard when everybody has something different is, is I think that sometimes people, it's, it's helpful when everyone can kind of agree and have this standard culture that they're working towards so that it's like, you know, everybody's on the same page. We're a united front. This is what we're about as a school. So I think that that is, it makes it easier. Like I know that I always felt better supported as somebody who was a related service provider. If it's like, all right, me and the teacher are on the same team and I'm going to get support with what I expect in my therapy room and how we do things and, and the teacher is going to get support. So I think the school culture there has to be that culture of resiliency, the culture of problem solving and adaptability can be there. But then when it comes to the specifics of implementation and providing that support in the classrooms, the biggest thing that I hear from people who are actually working with the students is that they feel like they're siloed off and they feel like they don't have enough time to work together to get on the same page. So on one hand, you have the therapists that are saying, I'm working on this, this thing in my therapy room. And if the teacher would just try this thing that I'm recommending in the classroom, it would be so much easier for them, but we're not on the same page and this would make their life easier, but they're not doing it because they're not seeing the connection where really that's a communication issue with, with people getting on the same page, realizing that you're working on the same goal. So I think if we just, you know, if people just had more time to communicate and get on the same page about those types of things, it would be easier to provide that support. Because I know that a lot of times from the teacher's perspective, it's, you know, a therapist coming in saying, do this, this, and this for this kid. And it's like, 
I have 30 other students that I need to support. How am I supposed to do that? So the therapist needs to have the bandwidth to come in and support mm -hmm. the teacher, do that training, be there, do that modeling. And then the teacher has to have the resources so that they can consistently implement that in their classroom. So that could be physical things that they need that might need to be created for them, whether it be that the somebody makes a training video for them or makes a document or a handout or a visual schedule or some other thing, or whether it just be actual people resources, um, you know, a teaching assistant or a therapist that has the time to go in or a special ed teacher or whatever the scenario is. So I think just keeping that in mind is really helpful, but just understanding that the staff do need that time to talk to each other. They need the support in getting their operating procedures and their, their kind of schedule in line so that they can have time for that. And they also just I think they need to know that they're going to have that somebody's going to have their back in implementing this and that they're not alone. Um, I think it's really interesting. The, the the teachers and the therapists working with students, their their brain is just in a totally different place than the administrators. Um, the administrators are thinking about operating procedures and culture and the teachers are thinking about what do I do when I have this, you know, tiny human in front of me that is you know, again, doing whatever they're doing. Um, so I think that providing that mentorship is is really important as well. And if it's just absolutely impossible for the immediate time being to block out time, then I would suggest even tell me what you think, Dr. Karen, you know, just having the teacher and the service provider, even if it's a couple of minutes, these are the objectives. Here's a strategy. Run with it. I'll talk to you next week about it. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, that's all that sometimes it takes because yep. it's just another we I I believe we have so many skills. We we don't always know where to apply them yeah. when. Right. Like we're our students need. Of course, we can support our students with making eye contact, you know, um, as much as that they can. And uh, of course, considering different differences and cultures and all that. But as an right. example. Right. Or we can, you know, support them with the basics of waiting your time to speak and listening to what the other person has to say. So active listening. We're capable. We're educators, umbrella term, to be able to uh, know what it is. But sometimes we don't always know the impact that these types of interventions, I think, mm -hmm. could really have. And I think that's what you're saying here is the communication and the impact could be tremendous. Yeah. I mean, a five minute conversation, if it's really focused and you know what right. you're supposed to be working on can go right. a long way. I think a lot of times people don't know how to make the most of that time that they have when you see somebody in the hallway and they're rushing to, you know, try to take a bathroom break because you don't have very many of those or just in the lunchroom or wherever it is, um, or even just knowing, can I address this in an email? Can I keep it focused enough that we can communicate what we need? So I think getting clear on what needs to happen as far as what skills are we working on? What um, strategies are we doing? And how does this need to look can be really helpful in understanding how to make the most of that time. I know that 
it's, I can just think of times where I was like, I know I should be talking to teachers. And then we'd go in, I'd go in and catch the teacher during the plan time and you leave the room and you think, what did I accomplish? We just rambled on for 20 minutes, you know, right. and that's frustrating. And then you stop doing it and that's not mm-hmm. good either. I also think that it's equally as important as outside looking in. So counselor looking in, in terms of communication with the teacher, but also the teacher saying, what is it that you focused in on this week? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What can I do? So you guys can ask too. Yeah. You know, I mean, that might not be common practice, then make it common by just having that as part of your practice, because what's going to happen is it could catch fire like so many things do where the counselor might turn around to a teacher and say, okay, you know, here's Susie. She, she's returning back to class. Do you have any questions for me? Where maybe the counselor never even asked, do you have any questions for me? You know, because everybody thinks they're so, you know, siloed, even though we know what we're expecting the children to be able to do and understand is not. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a big it's an, an important thing to realize is that a lot of times teachers will, um, they do need the information to know when to make a referral and yeah. what to look for in their classroom so that they know who to refer to, when to make the referral, and just what they need to bring to those meetings or just to those conversations. Um, I always, from whoever I'm talking to, I always encourage them to be the one to extend the olive branch. So if it's a teacher, I'll say, these are the things that you can do for your, to make your therapist's life life easier and vice versa for the therapists. Um, But yeah, I, I do think that that is really important to be able to understand that because otherwise I know that, you know, as a therapist, it's, it's hard to help uh, people make that connection between what you're doing in the therapy room and the classroom. And um, yeah, so I would say that that is kind of a big takeaway there. And the other thing is that therapy isn't magic. So a lot of times teachers will say, okay, they have an IEP, you know, that doesn't mean that they're fixed and the problem is, you know, it's, you know, done and everything is great. Or they're coming to therapy. A lot of times when I was the speech pathologist in the, the school systems, they would sometimes not qualify for services with a special ed teacher, but they would qualify for speech. And it's like, oh, okay, they have an IEP now. So everything is great. And it's like, mm, they're getting 30 minutes a week of speech. I can't, what I do is not magic, you know? It's so, not? Yeah. I have some okay. pixie dust. I'll send some to you. <laughs> I wish, wish it was, but, but again, it, it is a, it is a process and you do have to understand sure. what all can be done there. Um, but yes, I mean, and the therapist does need to do their part too, and showing you what to do and making it manageable for you, but also realize that we need support from you as well. And it's always so much appreciated when we're involved in that conversation, because I know with the related service providers, you know, the grade level teams, they have their meetings and, you know, you have all your third grade teachers that meet if, if you have a district where there's multiple people at a grade level. And I always remember feeling sort of like I was alone in my office and there's nobody else there. And yes, I, there were other speech pathologists there, but they're not in the same building as me. And it's just, you know, you, especially when you're between multiple buildings, it's always appreciated when we're involved in those conversations because, um, you know, again, there's so many times where 
when you think about these, the social uh, skills and, and the behaviors where there's things that we're doing and that we're working on that are really going to tie into those things and make your classroom run more smoothly, make your students more successful, but we have to know what's going on. I mean, I can I can give out a couple examples if if that would be helpful to people listening, but- Yeah, um, why not? You can yeah, give us an example so, too, of course. Okay, so let me think about, okay, so I'll start with the first one. This um, student is just just made so much progress the entire time he was in school, so- I actually ran into his kindergarten teacher. It was a few months ago. And she's like, oh, I, I ran into him and he's in college now. And just like, oh, just really cool. And because she was the, I would go into the classroom and do um, peer, uh, like a, she, he had a peer buddy that I would work with and I would do it in her classroom in the morning so she could see what I was doing with him. So that she could, I was doing a therapy session, but she could kind of see what was going on. And then I was also training a buddy that could help as well. And so, you know, she, we bonded over that student, but this student had a one-on-one -on -one aid and there was this one year, he just had a rough year. Like it was just lots of things going on. And when he was switching from, they would go from library to the gym to music and they would go do this whole circuit and so you know it's this quick we got to go from this to this and it's 20 minutes 20 minute sessions and then you got to line up and so lots of stuff going on and he was just having such a difficult time going from library to music and what he was saying was the library teacher is mean or, or something like that and and what we realized was that there was something with the way that they were lining up that just, it was different from what he expected and he didn't know how to adapt and adjust. So mm -hmm. when you think about that, it's mental flexibility, situational awareness, having a plan B, being yep. able to self-regulate and and then also being able to communicate. There was a language issue there as well, because it really wasn't that the library teacher was mean. It was just, I'm frustrated and the library teacher happens to be standing here. So I'm going to just explain it in any way that I can to try to get out of this situation. Um, so I had to, I was doing social skills groups in my session where it's, how do you act in the hallway? And these are the rules for the hallway. And this is what you're supposed to do when you're lining up and yada, yada, yada. Um, and it just, we weren't getting anywhere because we didn't really realize what the problem was. And so the only way that I was able to get to the bottom of it was when I was talking to his teaching assistant mm -hmm. and she had to be the eyes and the ears in there, tell me exactly what was going on. And then I had, we had to sort of come together with, okay, this is what we're going to have him do. And this is how you're going to model what we can, what he can say and where he can look and what he can do in that situation so that he knows how to um, adapt and we know how to get him through that little transition there. And again, it's something so simple where you think they're just lining up and walking down to the, down the hallway, like what's right. going on here? Right. And it was just a huge meltdown and we couldn't really figure out what's going on. So the, I mean, the takeaway there is, again, there was the, the priming and some front loading going on, but then there wasn't that 
streamlined process where there was somebody else that was saying, okay, that thing that you talked about in speech, you know, here's where, here's where we can do that. Or um, even just saying, okay, um, we're lining up. Where do we need to be looking? What, what do we need to be thinking about? How does our, you know, like what's everybody else doing and where are we going? All of those things that you're kind of asking yourself when you're in those situations, just being able to model those things. And so that was, that was, there were a lot of situations with that student. Um, and, and again, it was, I had ended up having a, a pretty good relationship with that teaching assistant to where I didn't need to always do that whole process because she knew how to do it. Right. She could essentially do the whole priming support review after on her own because she knew how to handle right. it. So right. that's ultimately um, what you want to do, you know, when you're a good therapist or doing your interventions, you want to work yourself out of a job essentially and teach everybody else how to do what you're doing. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that that never will actually happen. Never. <laughs> you want to have. <laughs> yes. Fantastic. Dr. Karen, is there any other information or anything else that we haven't hit upon today together that you think our listeners need to know? Oh, there's so much. Um, let's see. But but yeah, I think for when you're thinking about social skills, um, again, the, the term that we I used to use was pragmatic language. But really what we're talking about is social skills applied to um or sorry, executive functioning skills applied to social situations. We're really talking about situational awareness and perspective taking. So what's going on in, in the room? Um, what's going on in this situation? Where do I need to pay attention? Where do I need to focus? What do I need to look at to tell me what I need to do next? And then also, how are my behaviors impacting others? And how do I interpret the things that other people are doing? And what does that mean? Right. And in terms of that generalization piece, research does say that the social emotional learning piece and the executive functioning skill development needs to happen academically and socially in all settings. Mm -hmm. So that way your students can become more independent and more adapted, especially during challenging times and situations. Mm -hmm. So keeping in mind the social emotional learning and the development of executive functioning skills and the way that Dr. Karen has described it, it's very functional, you know? It's just how you use it. It's the way that we communicate with our service providers as educators, service providers, service providers to educators. And also remembering that students need that role play and they need to be really in that teachable moment times where you're bringing up those strategies when you see that's an opportunity mm -hmm. and also when you have things like small group instruction or just peer groups or in one peer working with another so those are all ways that dr karen is saying that mm -hmm. we can support socials the, the the real model of social skills classes, but really development and how fluid it really can be. So that way, what? Kids are more adjusted. They're happier. We love where we're doing more. We feel more accomplished and everybody leaves the day feeling like they did the best that they could do. 
So with that said, Dr. Karen, how do people get in touch with you? And of course, we will have all your information in the description below. So there are a couple places. So there is the De Facto Leaders podcast, and this is really for anybody who is working in K-12 education and wants to support kids. I talk a lot about executive functioning and a lot of other topics really just surrounding the concept of de facto leadership, how you can be a leader and an agent of change, regardless of what your role is, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a therapist, whether you're already an administrator, um, and regardless of whether you want to work towards an official leadership position or if you want to just really make a big impact in the role that you're already in. So that's de facto leaders. And those episodes are on my website at drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash blog. And then I know that I mentioned this in the other episode, but I do have an executive functioning guide that just gives an overview of why it's so important, why it's related to mental health, why it's related to anxiety and how supporting executive functioning is a great proactive thing that we can do to support mental health and resilience. And then also I get into why we need to think about other service delivery models when it comes to social skills specifically and everyone's role in the process if you're somebody who interacts with K-12 kids. So to get that guide, you can go to drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash efschools. So if you've got all that and you just happen to be on her website looking at some podcasts, depending on when you look, you'll see that I'm a guest of hers too. Yes. So we like to share information and that's what it's all about, right? And we yeah. love to hear from all of you as well. Too. And that will be released in early spring sometime. Um, yeah, that's coming up shortly. Great. So subscribe and stay tuned for the, that episode. Great. Thanks, everybody, for your, your comments and your service to children. And we look forward to speaking with you again. Thanks, Dr. Karen. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Student Success Beyond Expectations podcast, where school leaders, educators, and parents meet on behalf of children who struggle with learning. To bring workshops to your school or organization, contact Child Behavior Consulting and get started with resources available at childbehaviorconsulting.com, Amazon, and teacherspayteachers.com for ready-to-use resources and children's books. If you enjoyed this podcast, remember to review, subscribe, share, and give us a shout out on social media.